As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando, that's me, with Randy Mueller, the GM, both of us from The Athletic. Randy, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Good to be back again. They haven't changed our keys to the lock yet, so looks like yep. we got a, a new lease for another week. Yeah, well, I'm actually in a different room. I did this last year. I'm, actually, I'm at the Rams today. They were joint practicing the Raiders, and so it was kind of fun to be out there and watch some practice, uh, and then... I'm in some room, a little back room. Last year, I was in a similar room when we were doing the show, and it was, it was there's, this room had like some candy on the desk, but it wasn't really an occupied room. Well, all of a sudden, Raheem Morris ducks in and grabs some candy. Like that was his. Like Raheem knew that there was a candy stash in there, so that I just happened to be in that room. I was like, hey, that was cool. He wasn't coming in to see you. Well, I don't think he was coming in to see me. I, we do. You know, we, we have a little bit of a rapport, but I think he wanted the candy. And so uh, there's no candy in here today. We should be good. You're coming at us from beautiful Western Washington. So, yes, sir. Very glad yeah. to be here. Hot and you're, you're missing it. Hot, hot, hot and a little sticky for even Seattle, you know, the last uh-huh. couple of days. So, yeah, 95 uh-huh. in Seattle, as you know, Mike, is hot. Well, we got some hot stuff on the uh, podcast today. We're going to get into some of Randy's preseason observations. Uh, he loves this time here like we said last time last week because he likes to watch the film and get in and see some stuff we've got some you know a few newsy things dalvin cook signing i was in the hall of fame coach contributor committee uh you know meeting yesterday uh when buddy parker emerged and not mike holmgren or robert Kraft or mike shanahan so we're going to talk about that we're going to try not to get too fired up uh we've got Another little follow-up to Hard Knocks. We hit pretty hard last week. We've got the GM Notebook, which, wow, there's some... There's I love GM Notebook. This is great stuff. So let's dig right in, Randy, off the top. Maybe some, some preseason observations from the GM. What do you got? Well, I was thinking that so much pre-draft hype and so much draft over, hype, uh, player hype over the summer is about the quarterbacks. So I know we're only one game in, so there's really not a ton to draw from this, but... I did think it was interesting, and you're right. I probably watched too much preseason games on film the last three or four days. So um, I feel like we, we can at least give a, 
I'll say this, Mike. I'm going to write a story for The Athletic a week from now, which is going to include okay. two, week, two weeks of work on yeah. most of the quarterbacks in and around the league and just on a progress report because we know not many are going to play that last week as well. So um, right. I just think I, I, you learn a lot by who plays, who plays with these quarterbacks and kind of what state they're in because since the draft, they've had a full minicamp session all kinds of OTAs, really up till now, so three weeks of training camp. So they've had a lot thrown at them over the last two or three months, and this might be a good time to take a quick pause and, and just yeah. see where Bryce Young is, where C.J. Stroud is, and then we've all heard about the Richardson flashes in, in Indy. So that's where I thought we could start. Yeah, absolutely. I I love it. And with with Indy, what's interesting to me is just that they've committed to stardom already. You know? Yeah, uh, yep. Which it's a long season, and uh, I don't know. My read from afar has been that Shane Steichen's kind of been eager to play him. You always wonder with the owner there what's going on, but um, yeah, let's get into some of your notes, and then also maybe just some of your thoughts of the fact that wow, you know, he's going to be week one. I thought maybe they could ease him in. Yeah, no doubt. I think all three of these guys have been named starters at different points, and. And I think if we start with Bryce Young, you're not going to see a lot different than what we thought going in, both concerns and uh, positives. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, and I know you were through Panthers camp. I feared for this guy's health the other night. I mean, he is not a big kid, as we know. He got pounded out there. I thought the Jets dominated him. They couldn't keep him off him. And he looked like a little kid that was going to get crushed. But to his credit, he bounced up. The one thing Bryce Young does is he understands timing. He understands the ball has to come out. Um, his his fundamentals don't they don't really sway from play to play. I thought he was really sound with what he did with the ball. Um, and again, I think the speed of the game for him is going to be less of a deal than it is for these other guys because he's used to doing things a certain way at Alabama, and that's helpful. But um, he's accurate. He can deliver the ball where it needs to go. He can process information, all things that we said about him coming out, and that doesn't change after one game. The thing that I guess I would emphasize with him was the size is a factor. Um I, I, I mean, he got pummeled in a couple of those uh, hits that the Jets put on him, and I, I just I felt why why are we doing this? And I think for the most part, Carolina's offense is is kind of a work in progress. It struggles, and it didn't do him any favors. They they didn't hold up against the Jets, who are a good defense, but their pass rush put Bryce Young in some tough spots. That I think he's gonna if they continue to to protect the passer like that, it's gonna be a long 17 weeks, and I don't see any way he can last. Well, yeah, and I did go to, to Panthers camp, and I was, you know, obviously it's not a, not news that he's a smaller quarterback, yeah, but it, it is. Right. It was a little jarring to see in person. Yeah, just how small. <laughs> it's it, a thing, you know, right? Guy, I mean, it, it's hard. Yeah. That's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it, now, like I, I used to have that feeling um, when I the first time I saw Kyler Murray playing, I thought, God, his helmet was too big for his body. It just looked weird. Yeah. But he can also run so fast that heck, he he was getting away from it, and I think. If you spend more time in the pocket, you know, right. um, you're you're and you don't have a good offensive line, and you're learning a new system. And yeah, yeah. I, I think of these three guys. For me, Bryce Young is the least athletic of the three. So again, that doesn't bode well for a small guy either, because he will take more hits than most. I know he can get it out quick. I get it, but that's still, it is a big man's game, especially in that pocket. 
Yeah, and I think the ticket for him will be to get the ball out fast. You know, there's some and guys, some that. of those yeah. guys, the guys who really know how to play, yeah, don't miss a lot of games. You know, I think that's now they're also a lot of times bigger. You know, if you know Philip Rivers or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, the top quarterbacks um, who were, were in the pocket when they did take a hit, they were 220 pounds or whatever. Yeah. You know, so it at least, them. yeah. But, but if he if he gets the ball that quick, that's going to be a huge benefit for him staying in there, right? So. No doubt about it. And then that took me on to, to C.J. Stroud in Houston where, again, I, I struggle with any type of assessment of these guys when the offense is so bad around them oh, that man. it's just an uphill battle. And, and that's what I found Houston's offense to be. I mean, C.J. Stroud played 12 plays, and I'll bet they wish they'd only played him six or seven <laughs> because none of it was good. This one, in, in this case, the speed of the game was really fast. The, they max protected Mike one time and sent a back in the flat and two receivers out, and they still got sacked. So that's like seven guys to block four or five, and they still couldn't block. I know. So when you look it, at the depth chart on offense. Uh, and they have nobody that can get open, nobody that can break coverage, nobody that can win one-on-one. So that part's a bad matchup. He threw one really bad interception that was a bad decision. He threw it way late to the flat, and it got picked off. Um, he probably should have hit the check down then, but he overthrew a swing pass. Uh, completions were just really hard to come by. And in most cases, you'll see a coordinator try to get a quarterback's feet under him and get him some easy throws. That was even a struggle for C.J. Stroud. So uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I don't know where this one's going to go. I wish they had Brandon Cook still. And I understand what happened there. They didn't really have anybody to threaten the field deep. The problem with all these bootlegs and play action things that some of these teams are running to simplify it for the quarterback, it simplifies it for the defense too. So they only have to <laughs> cover half the field. That's a fact. That's not my opinion. So when a guy runs a bootleg and he's rolling out to his left, guess oh, what yeah. they're doing on the right? They're not covering him. He's not John Elway going to turn and throw it clear across the field. Although I did see Pat Mahomes do that. But yeah. in this case, <laughs> these guys aren't going to do that. So it's really a struggle that, you know, you just wish they could find a way to sit these guys and, and let the game come to them, you know, somewhat. You well, can't convince me that, you know, Gardner Minshew in Indy or, or Davis Mills in Houston doesn't give them a better chance to win early on. You just, you know, you understand the ceiling is higher maybe with these other guys, but it's going to be a struggle to get there. I don't know if you had any feelings on C.J. Stroud. Well, the, on top of that, here's their first four games at Baltimore, home Colts, at Jacksonville home Steelers. So, you know, you talk about easing your quarterback in when he's got no team around him. I mean, you're talking about places that have some real good defenses and defensive players. And, and yeah. uh, I see zero way for him to get his feet under him in the first month of the season. None. I think he's going to be overwhelmed. You know, their bye comes in week seven. And after those teams, after they play Baltimore, Indy, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, they're at Atlanta, and they're home for New Orleans. Well, yeah. you know, you could be 0-6 pretty easily. And then where are you at? And then what are you doing? You know, we were trying to develop this kid. I would almost rather have another guy play the first six weeks and then bring him in just so he can get up to the speed of what's going on and understand it. It's just that I don't think most understand the learning curve is so great. 
I mean, you're going really from the dock of the bay to the Autobahn overnight. That's how fast this game is compared to where you were before. And so I don't care if you played at Alabama or Ohio State, it's still way faster than that. And players are way better than that. And so it's a, it's a giant step up. And it, I'm not saying these guys won't be good. They might be if they can survive it until they get to where they can develop. I think the situation too, where it's just an extreme bad around you, you know, that's what makes it. Yeah. That's what tips it for me. I, I, I think I'm okay playing the top pick early if you have a good setup for them, you know, but these are no win situations. At least that one is. Well, and I do think in Bryce Young's case and CJ Stroud's case, the fundamentals and really the basics for their game are much more developed and further along than Anthony Richardson, who we're going to talk about now, who, was named by the Colts a starter this week. They must not have watched the film either because I felt bad for that kid too. You talk about, I'll say this. Let me start with a couple positives. He can make throws without his feet being set. He can vary his release point so he can dip down and throw under guys uh, or, or change the plane by which his release. Yeah. You know, he, he can turn to double play how some of these guys are throwing sideways now, underarmed. Uh, it's, it is what it is, but... You've got fundamentals that vary for this kid from snap to snap. I mean, it is all over the place. It is wildly in, inaccurate, um, very careless ball security, missing spot throws, curl throws that are easiest throws to make. Um, he kind of throws the ball with a loose elbow and not to get too far into the weeds. But because of that, it's not a structured fundamental delivery. Now, some of the best quarterbacks that ever played have this same delivery, but his is all over the place, and it's just tough. Um, he's a thrower and not a passer, and just because he hasn't played, and we know about 13 games in college, this kid hasn't developed as a passer at all. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know that they're doing this kid anything but a disservice by rolling him in there, and it sure seemed like he was even shocked that he was going to be the starting quarterback because I don't know if he even thought he was ready. Do you think, is it, I mean, is it as simple as, hey, Jim Irsay wants to play his new guy? I mean, it just seems weird, a little bit weird. Uh, I guess, I mean, but I I'll say this. The ball might go anywhere, Mike. I mean, it might go anywhere. It's, it, there are people running wide open that he doesn't see it, just like at Florida, and, and the ball might sail 20 yards over their head or go right in the ground. It's just wildly inconsistent. So I just don't know. I mean hey, maybe he gets it quicker than I think, but I think the learning curve for him is going to be even greater than Stroud and Young. Jacksonville in week one, huh? Is that who they play? Good luck yeah. blocking them. Holy mackerel. Oh, they get they better put in a triple two, option. Better put in yeah. a triple option because he can run. He's athletic. He's a big, strong dude now, and we all know that. So those are yeah. the positives. Yeah. But there's a lot of question marks that would make me nervous as heck. And you would think somebody like that could use the reps. You know, just could use the practice, oh. you know. Yeah. I would think, you know, I, I don't know. But we'll see. Yeah. Maybe maybe next week will be a little better. And then, you know, I don't yeah. know if they'll play them the third week. I'd play these guys as much as I can without completely risking their health. Again, I think Richardson can take care of himself. So can Stroud. They were running out of there and, and getting away from people and, and can get out of harm's way, to me, a little better than Bryce Young can. But time will tell. It's yes. just so early that – you know, I don't know if, if the exercise was even worth mentioning, but it's it's hopefully going to get better next week, and, and then we'll see where it goes in, in that last week and, and the start of the season. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIP. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You want to hit Dalvin Cook next? Sure. You bet. So the Jets Dalvin signed Cook. Dalvin yeah. Cook. Yeah. The Jets signed Dalvin Cook, and I noticed one of my... The best guy I follow on Twitter, at Randy Mueller underscore, <laughs> said, after Rodgers, uh, new running back Dalvin Cook is the only addition that moves the meter for the Jets' offense. None of the friends and family plan who they signed, including the OC. Who cares what they paid? Plus, he, this helps Brees Hall. So um, I, I like the distinction there because sometimes when signings are made, people uh, you know, over-focus on the, the money or yeah. – or, yeah, you overpaid. You should have slotted him in at this when the bottom line from where the Jets are, right? I mean, you're not too worried. I'm not worried about them overpaying at this point. And, and once Zeke signed, I think that was kind of in the ballpark for what this guy signed for. And let's face it, this is this was a dog and pony show the three days he showed up there that weekend. And, and it kind of felt like the destination. Unless he could get Miami to overpay, which they didn't. And, and so this makes sense. Um I think, in my opinion, this helps the Jets as much as any move they've made. Now, set Rodgers aside, just because, and I mentioned they're kind of tongue-in-cheek about the friends and family plan. I'm not for those guys. I mean, God bless them. They've all done decent. Lazard and all those guys. Yeah, they're not going to move the meter at all for me. But I do think Dalvin Cook can, and I also think Brees Hall can learn from Dalvin Cook. There's a lot of things, and everybody said, well, there's only one ball. You're going to have, you know, somebody's going to be disgruntled. 
hey, if they're disgruntled, they need to grow up because this is a tough business and you need all the good players you can get. Um, of course, this comes from the guy who had Ricky Waters in his office every week complaining about Amon Green getting four or five touches. So, <laughs> you know, hey, learn how to deal with it, people. That's just the way it is. We want good players. We're going to make them happy. If we score enough, they'll all be happy. But uh, I think two yeah. back, two good backs beats one good back anytime you can get it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, nice signing for them. And I love the, the vision of Ricky coming in your office. What a great oh. player. <laughs> he was awesome too, Mike. Dude. Yeah, you talk about guy that got a bad rap because of yeah. the persona, right? But this guy wanted to win. And the reason that he used to always complain was that he thought we had the best chance to win when the ball was in his hands. It's hard to push back against that because he's right. He was really good. But yeah. Amon Green was yeah. a little faster. Amon Green was a little this, a little that. And it was a oh, great yeah. one-two punch. So we kind of have yeah. to finesse that. And sometimes well, there is only one ball, but... As GM or as head coach or even as an assistant, sometimes finesse is the name of the game, baby. You got to make everybody happy, and, and you got to have as many guys on, on on alert as you can to play. So I like this signing for the Jets. Yeah, it's good. We'll talk a little bit about the Jets as we follow up on uh, some of the hard knocks. The next thing I've got on our list, though, was is this Hall of Fame stuff. And today, the Hall of Fame announced that. Long ago, Detroit Lions coach Buddy Parker was chosen by the coach contributor committee to go to the Hall of Fame from a list of finalists that include Tom Coughlin, Mike Holmgren, Bucko Kilroy, Robert Kraft, Dan Reeves, Art Rooney Jr., Marty Schottenheimer, Mike Shanahan, Clark Shaughnessy, Lloyd Wells, John Wooten. So I'm on this committee, and because uh, I represent the Seattle market in general, they gave me Mike Holm to, Holmgren to present, so I did that. I presented him to the committee, and he's very well thought of by the committee. But Buddy Parker comes out from this thing, and Randy, just wanted to ask you, you obviously worked with Mike, and you probably worked with a couple of these other guys too. Um, maybe not. I'm not sure if you did. Uh, were, you, were you around Marty ever, Schottenheimer? No, no. not with Marty. No, because you, you did not overlap with the Chargers, yeah. So anyway, from, from the list, any thoughts, Randy, on these guys? Well, I mean, we kind of talked about this before the show. I'm 60, so if Buddy Parker is a better coach than Mike Holmgren and Mike Shanahan and those guys, God bless them. Uh, my question is, uh, who's old enough to advocate for that on your on your committee? <laughs> I mean, who has seen that? Who has figured that out? Because I surely can't, and I've been in the game almost 40 years, so um, I could be easily drawn the wrong picture here. I haven't done the research like you, but the game, the athletes, the competitive level of where – it's been the last 30 years. It's pretty dang good, and I do know that. So I know Mike Holmgren's a really good coach, maybe the best I've ever been around at kicking guys in the butt and then hugging them five minutes later, and guys play really hard for him, not to mention he's a great tactician. Same with Shanahan. Not saying Buddy Parker isn't. I just, I just I, I'm just, i with you. I'm a little bit surprised by that, and maybe I'm just missing the boat on Buddy Parker, but like I said, I'm only 60. I, I can't really back it up. This one kind of bothered me. And, you know, I look, I'm presenting Mike Holmgren. I covered Mike Holmgren. I know him, but it's not yep. Mike Holmgren and I aren't buddies. I mean, I don't no, you know. No, I hear you. Yeah. I'm not, we're not friends or anything like that um, in a social setting or anything. I'm into the history. I'm into researching and I'm into uh, developing standards and criteria that help us determine who are the best people. So, uh, for example, I did that for running backs, I did it for wide receivers, looking at ways to kind of measure their elite production. 
without having any, I'm not trying to help any one candidate. I'm trying to look and say, hey, really, we need to consider this person here because of X, Y, and Z. So for, for coaches, for me, I think there's two types of coaches that would be considered for the Hall of Fame. One is the type you wouldn't even have to have a discussion about. And we see that like among the players, that's Jerry Rice or Emmett Smith. There's only a very small number of them ever. There's there's one or two of those guys who ever played wide receiver or running back. Jim Brown. We don't have to have a criteria. We just absolutely know. Well, then there's a level of person who is or maybe worthy, but you have to look at the record a little bit more. Uh, they, they they didn't just win the most games in history or five Super Bowls or whatever. And so for me, for a coach, the criteria that I have really thought about the last couple of years, one is, did you really drive elite success with multiple teams? Because I think you see guys go to different places in different situations. And I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, like uh, they put Tom Flores in recently into the Hall of Fame. Great run with the Raiders completely flat in Seattle. That's a little bit of a red flag for me. Um, even some great coaches, uh, uh, Dan Reeves is on this. I mean, he, I think, coached three, four places, losing record in a couple of the places. Well, that then to me, that has to be overcome to, to be for the Hall of Fame. The other one is kind of the Joe Gibbs test. Did you do it with more than one quarterback? Like, I, I think if we're looking to try to give credit to a coach, Sometimes it's hard to, to know in an organization there's so many things that contribute to winning, uh, and the quarterback is such a big deal. But did you, you know, in Holmgren's case, they picked up Brett Favre, who'd never started a game, and he's, he's a pro bowler in year one and goes to his three-time MVP. Or, or he comes to Seattle and they acquire Matt Hasselbeck, who had been a practice squad player, no starts, and he's, th- and he's three pro bowls, and they go to the Super Bowl. And then the third thing I look look at is, hey, were you really involved in developing quarterbacks, calling plays, innovating, you know, those types of things? And so that would be things like, uh, in, you know, I see Mike Holmgren as the link between Bill Walsh and Andy Reid. I mean, really, he's the one guy between that for 40 years of great offensive football. And, and you know, developing quarterbacks, like I said, with a Farb or a Hasbeck, somebody like that, uh, you know, calling plays is a, is a huge way you can influence the game on, on Sunday. And the last thing to me is just, is there any kind of like a legacy that's bigger than yourself? You know, and so when I was discussing Mike Holmgren, I mean, his coaching tree had eight assistants become head coaches, including Andrew Reid. They won Super Bowls. His coaching tree has over 600 wins in the league and a winning record. The coaching methods, and you know, you, you'll know about this, but you know, one of the things Steve Young said was, you know, he completely changed the way quarterbacks were coached. Kind of was the first guy to recognize that that coach quarterback thing needed to be more of a partnership. I thought that was an interesting thing. Right. And then, third one that from Holmgren, which I never really had thought about associated with him before, was he's the first coach to ever hire two black coordinators. Do you know that? Wow. When when he was became a coach in Green Bay, there the rest of the league had two black coordinators out of fifty four. He hired two, Ray Rhodes and, and Fritz Sher- and not Fritz Schirmer, but uh, Sherman Lewis. So mm-hmm. my point here isn't to 
to try to get Holmgren into the Hall of Fame on this thing. My point is that I think when we go through candidates like this, I think it's really helpful to have some kind of a structure or criteria. Just like if you were evaluating a game or a player, you, you have a you have a process that allows you to have reference points and right. have it all make sense. And so when you like a certain player, and I can even see it now when you describe a wide receiver, you're like, I know why, because I know what you're looking for in them. And I feel like in the Hall of Fame, we're not there yet. Like we don't have a agreed upon criteria. And so what you have is a bunch of people advocating for individuals. And that's how, to, in my view, out of the blue, Buddy Parker makes it. I'm not saying Buddy Parker shouldn't make it. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that people can't explain why he should over this other guy because there's not a criteria. Right. So that's kind of my soapbox thing is I, th I think really for the maximum credibility of the Hall of Fame and just because it's it makes sense, developing some kind of criteria to contribute, to, to evaluate these people, what are their players, what are their coaches, what are their contributors, um, is really, I'm really interested in it. I love the history of it. Yeah, I, I would only say this because I think you described it perfectly. Also for me, and I'm not on the committee, never have been, never will be, but personal agendas almost have to be set aside by the people on the committee as well, right? Like you said, you're not buddies with Mike. You're not buddies with any of these coaches, which is great. And you want to present your case, but there seems to be sometimes with these Hall of Fame things, there seems to be some ulterior motives. And I think that's how you become a hall of pretty good, <laughs> you know, not a hall of great. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I, th I don't think there's a lot of undeserving people getting in, but I, but I do, I have thought about the structure of how it is set up to have an individual responsible for the presentation of somebody um, does risk that person um, just trying to find the best way to get that person in, right? Yeah, <laughs> but isn't it, it to, shouldn't it be about getting it right as a group, not getting my guy in? Yes, That's like a draft yes. any day. It should be what's best for the team or for the group. Yes, that's really how I want it to be, and I'm not saying yeah. it's, it's not always that way. I'm just saying, like, I, I've evolved in the last few years to be more into the criteria um, and trying to do it that way. What What is the best... How can we get the best person in? Right, um, right. Every time, not saying, "Hey, God, uh, oh, this guy probably should have gotten a long time ago. Let's push him up to the top now right. because that would be uh, the way to go." And I don't believe in that at all. I think you look at the candidates and you try to find out which ones are the best. And out of this class, I would I would put Buddy Parker high on the list, but I would certainly think that uh, you know. You can't find a better – if you're going to do an owner, Robert Kraft checks a lot of the boxes. I mean, it would be hard to be against him. And I think you had mentioned Mike Shanahan. Uh, I would agree with what his impact has been and obviously Mike Holmgren. Uh, there's some good ones on there, but I bet you there weren't a lot of people that went into this week saying, well, they got it. it's got to be Buddy Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. That's why I'm saying there can't be that many around in their 70s or 80s on that committee that yeah. can maybe make that – you know, there's distinction. No there's I don't no know. Doesn't mean he shouldn't go in. So anyway. No, I hear you. That's right. It's it's fresh and uh, you know it's a topic that I'm really interested in and yep. and especially the criteria part of it. I like to do the research. So I'm yep. going to keep doing the research and we'll come back next year and see 
how it turns out, it's always fun to do. It's a privilege to do it. It's a responsibility. I take it seriously. Really enjoy it. Um, back to some of the preseason, and we we talked about Bryce Young. The Panthers were the only team scoreless in the preseason opener. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and I know you've kind of, you know, we've, we've raised some questions about them, but I can just picture David Tepper, their owner, in the mm-hmm. owner's box, excited for his day. Taking this really home. good, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> new head coach, new quarterback, and you lose twenty seven. I don't care if it's preseason. I think the owner cares if you lose twenty seven. Oh, when you're coming out of the gates, excited. Um, Right. No big deal, Randy. You don't worry about anything in the preseason. You said you liked some of the things you saw from Bryce Young, or I, I, I just think it's it's not good for anybody in that we go down and get beat down. Um, I don't think it was even twenty-seven, nothing close. It was one of those butt kickings where we didn't show up, we didn't do anything right, and uh, what did Jim Morris say? We didn't do diddly squat. Yeah. Diddly Dilly yeah. Poo. <laughs> yeah. So that was one of those. I agree with you. And I'll be honest. And, and I like Frank Wright. I've been with him with the Chargers. We're together. I know how he works and I know what kind of man he is. I think at some point their offense has to do something. I think there's a lot of people that get crowned or labeled. And, and I've heard people say Frank's the quarterback whisperer. And I'm thinking, well, whisperer. And I like Frank, but who do you whisper? Uh, uh, Philip Rivers? I mean, Philip Rivers is pretty good when we got there. So I'm just, at some point, their offense has to show me that Frank, especially being the offensive guru that everybody says he is, it's got to do better than where, where it's been in my mind, whether it was with the Colts or whether they get it done in Carolina. That's my point, I guess, is the Jets' defense yeah. is good, but the Panthers looked overwhelmed. And this was after two days of practicing against them. One, because the second one got rained out, as we saw in hard knocks, but... I just I would have expected better, and you're right. The owner is going to be patient to, as long as he can, and it's one preseason game. I get it, but yeah, nobody wants to go through that. I've I've had that happen on opening day when everybody's all fired up after five preseason games, and all of a sudden we're opening at home. Nobody could be more excited than uh, and just come out and lay a big egg like that and get beat down. And that's the only thing worse than this. Now they've got a couple weeks to bounce back, but. It just, it, it wasn't a good look for sure. I just put a little asterisk by it. You know, that was a little notable to me, you know, with the excitement of the new coach and the new quarterback. And yep. yeah, I just, you know, they, they had it. They, they finished decently last year, you know, too. And they made a decision to not retain. And uh, we'll see how they do. I think they'll just be an interesting team in a, yep. you know, a, not a great division. And you've got this quarterback and they, you want to see him go. So you mentioned they lost to the Jets. Did you watch episode two of Hard Knocks? I did, as a matter of fact, yes. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I wouldn't say I love it, but I, I did want to watch it, and I'll watch the rest for education purposes only, right? L- yeah, less entertainment was, for me, more education. You should have seen me. I was, I was, you know, the glamour of life on the road. I was sitting in a courtyard Marriott laundry room doing my laundry, watching this thing in the, in the laundry room at 10.30 <laughs> last night because I wanted to see it before the show. And I thought this episode was better than the first one. Uh, the first one was a, kind of a turn up. How about the mentalist guy in the beginning? Did you see that? Oh, yeah. That, that, that was awesome. But, but we've seen that guy and what I've he did to those guys. Those guys all, like in five minutes, they, they can't trust anybody. <laughs> how do you do the three? With their how, mind. Do you do the, 
How did he do the thirty-one to twenty-one Super Bowl prediction of uh, of the Jets over the 49ers? Yeah, he, he basically asked the player to visualize yeah. who they would play, who the Jets would play in the Super Bowl and what the score would be, and, and then he asked the player to say it, and the guy goes thirty-one twenty-one over the 49ers. And this mentalist guy turns around a placard and it says it has the logos of those two teams. It says thirty-one to twenty-one. Yeah. He had another one where Aaron Rodgers was holding the deck of cards, and he's holding a block with a goldfish in it. I know. I mean, how? I understand the magic stuff. Yeah. You know, magic stuff happens, but that—that that is. Yeah. No, it's it's impressive. Uh, hey, it, it is witchcraft. So I, I thought right that. off the bat, they might have read our, listened to our review last week. I'm sure they were like, "Yeah, oh, Sando and Mueller, football GM was kind of down on us, down on the yeah. hard luck. We got to get some real entertainment in here." So I was yeah. all in it for the beginning part of that. I thought this is awesome. I've seen that guy before, but I don't get tired of it. So I thought that was great. Then I love for Sean Rogers on the field. He goes, that play definitely sucks from that formation. Maybe we're going to learn that after that rep. Maybe we'll learn that. I thought that was some great sarcastic. Hey, yeah. coach, are you listening? <laughs> are we ever going to block anybody? <laughs> oh, yeah, Salah's mad at the offensive yeah. line. Yeah. And Salah, do you think that Salah really – says an f-bomb that frequently in his real in i feel like he's adding them in yeah i i don't i'm just not i don't know how authentic it is i'm with you I, it just seemed like there's some manufactured speeches and crows and eagles and all this other garbage that we're making up and i understand that fans love to see that maybe the people watching it love that but that's not realistic in nfl terms that doesn't happen in most places. I mean, I've been around for a long time. I know my coach has never used that kind of symbolism, and, and I just think it's a little bit quirky. But you're right. The F-bombs, I don't know. There was a dozen in, in a two-minute segment there that just make you shake your head. But that, it, which they say that a lot, but it's usually with a real emphasis. Like, it's it's natural. Like, when you yeah. say it, it's more natural. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's being edited in. It's just a weird dynamic. But anyway, he was – I liked uh, – you know – the, the drama they create with him dressing down the offensive line and the big boys oh, yeah. up front got to get going. It's it's interesting how they then they edit it all together with then the offensive line plays better in the preseason game, so we solved it all in one show. You know, yeah. <laughs> hey, don't forget they're making TV show right. They're making it to you. The one thing that did stick out with me once again was kind of some of the shade that Sala throws on prior years. You know, and and he did it again this last week. He said. Um, something to the effect that it's not the same old jets that's been here in the past. You know, we got to show something different. And then this week he said something similar about, we finally have a chance to do something different. If the offensive line can do this, let me just, did he forget he was the coach the last two years? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I mean, so he, he's, he's really throwing it back at himself and it's like, I don't, and the GM's been there four years, so he's throwing all kinds of shade on him too. It's like saying, this is four years you've built this pile of crap, you know, up front. So I don't know. <laughs> it, it, this is the longest rebuild in the history of the NFL. So I think that's why I'm always a little skeptical of the Jets. Who gets four years to roll out this kind of crap and then get a Hall of Fame quarterback dumped on your lap and, and now we'll see where we're at. But I think we all would like to see some something come of of all this hype and all the expectations and all the talk and all that I, I don't know maybe it will yeah. i don't know i know their defense is good but oh there's no doubt i mean i think to me 
if they can overcome how bad the Jets rookie show was, what was that? Oh, the Jets rookie God. show. What was, was that? I couldn't even thing. piece that together. They lost me right away. I'd be throwing stuff too. That was nuts. Those of you that didn't so see upset. the show, the, the players stood up and were pelting the rookies on stage with like wads of paper trying to get them off there it was so bad usually the rookie show everybody wants to see it there i've been to some that are awesome i mean really funny nothing sacred they come after you full circle but you're right this one made no sense to me at all i was, was throwing socks function. in the laundry room with the yeah. Marriott on this one uh what's the best one you saw do you remember any well, they're all, usually it's when they're making fun of the coaches. You know, some of the rookies will make fun of the coaches, and it's usually their position coach. And and sometimes you're glad the coaches aren't all in there because some of it can be personal. You know, yeah. yeah but it, yeah. it that's what it, the purpose of it is. It's to have fun. It's to laugh about it. And there wasn't anything funny. Wasn't anything about what what they showed on TV last night. They might as well have showed the the uh, narrator flying in in a helicopter again. I mean, what's the difference? It was yeah. <laughs> those yeah. were the two letdowns in in the first two shows for me. The other thing that really stood out to me was just how Rogers' coziness with the referee Carl Jeffers. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, the tier one quarterback treatment by the referees and the interactions is a little. I mean, yeah. I love it, but it's kind of sickening. I mean, it's yeah, it's you can I. I you could just picture that Carl Jeffers or these referees, they love being on a first-name basis with the quarterback. They're hoping their oh, yeah. kids are watching the scene and say, hey, I see, I know Aaron. Yeah, hey, Rod. When he goes you know, back what? to his insurance job, he says, hey, man, yeah, uh, me, Aaron right. and I. Yeah, did you hear Aaron and I talking about this? It was a yeah. – he's telling hey, his voice. Rogers on line one. Can you, you know, <laughs> hold my calls unless it's Rogers, you know, coming through. But then the best part is Rogers. Then – frames the dynamics reframes them back in his favor because he's like hey carl could you get to one of your guys you know the ball's a little sweaty out here could you could, could the umpire <laughs> have a towel next time please yeah and he's like yeah That's sir right. you know i'll see if i can do that you know i just felt like he was you know it was yeah. the kid at the car wash and he's saying hey can you can you get i got a little scuff on the white walls here could you could you get that down there you know uh <laughs> You know, and there's like no one else on the team could do that, have that with the referee, or there's there's no, no. one else really there. Not even the coaches would right. have that type of a thing. It's it's really like Rogers sees the officiating staff as his caddies. They're at his right. disposal, you know. But I will say this in in his defense, when you think about it, the referee yeah. and the quarterback do have a dialogue for yeah. most of these games. Whether it's good, bad, indifferent, they see each other after every play, right? So I can understand yeah. there could be yeah. some relationships there. It's not like the yeah. defensive end is going to have that same dialogue with the referee, you know. No. But the oh, quarterback does have some. I mean, hey, I'll say this. In, in my high school and college days of playing, yeah. I still yeah. know some of those referees. So oh, they, they, you do develop a little camaraderie with it. And, and I'm not against it, but it does go to an extreme here where it's all on a first-name basis. It's I like, was having fun with it. You know, I'm having yeah. a little fun with it. But I, I just think it's it's hilarious. Like, I love <laughs> yeah, that I aspect of the, of the top-tier quarterback. And Rodgers just, Rogers just basked in it. Like, he loves this, oh, yeah. this stuff. Yeah. You know, I... I, I enjoyed it. I thought that was a fun fun part of it and the referees, you know. Do you think uh, Rodgers is looking for points down the road? Is that why he's maybe playing this up a little bit? Maybe get a little protection, a little call down the road? Do you think any of it's oh. authentic or is it all for show or what is it? What's the reasoning uh, behind that, it? What's his agenda? I think, there's I think there's agenda. I think there's strategy to it. I, yeah. I think that he probably does enjoy the interplay with them and the fun with it. And he, you know, 
I think I don't think it's all just totally phony or anything like that. Um, right. But I think he's working the angles because you can see him. Oh, they came back to it later, and he's like asking for clarifications on plays. He's like, "Hey, he wanted to know the why we didn't get a free play on the neutral zone infraction," and he right. and so he gets an answer. Like he gets he gets a real time answer. And I think Rogers probably then was just enjoying. He's on the sideline. He's not in the middle of the game. He doesn't have to track as many things. But he's he was almost like a coach getting, you know. Like, hey, if anyone needs anything from the ref, just don't just just ask Rod, you know, Aaron. He'll 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 have he'll have it covered. So yeah, I, I, the other thing now in the league is when the quarterbacks get hit, the first place they look is at the quarterback, the, the right. referee. They look at him right away. Like, hey, hey, is that a penalty? Right. <laughs> no doubt. I just got hit. You know, they, it's the first thing they do. So yeah, I just noticed that. I thought it was interesting. I'm glad they featured it on there. The chumminess. So we'll see yep. if. Carl Cheffers has a Rogers game this year, you know, it pays off for him uh, in the game. That's uh, funny. I, agree. So. I like, I enjoy that part of it. I, I enjoy the kind of gamesmanship, but I'm with you. I think there's some agendas driven down the road oh, yeah. here that, that Rogers thinks he's going to get the benefit of. Yeah. And I bet he does get some benefit, you know, from the relationship. Uh, yep. Those guys have. So what you got in the GM notebook today? Well, we got a couple things left, and, and normally we get to this point in the show and we look in the GM notebook, and Mike's already unlocked it and used everything in there, and so we're back <laughs> down to nothing. So I'm shocked that we have two things in here that we can still talk about. So That's amazing. I, yeah, I'd say that tongue-in-cheek. The first one for me, and, and you're right, I'm watching too much preseason film, but I tried to watch some Tennessee stuff because I knew Ryan Tannehill was not going to play. And Malik Willis and Will Levis are the two quarterbacks that were chosen by this franchise the last two years. Willis in the third down, third round two years ago or last year, and Levis this year. Um, and they alternated them throughout the first preseason game. I just kind of wanted to see, like we talked about earlier with the quarterbacks, where they were. Obviously, Malik's second year in the league. He started a few games last year, so he has some more experience. Will Levis... I had some concerns on him coming out, so I wanted to see how that was going. I would only say this. I, I think the Titans are in trouble if anything happens to Ryan Tannehill. I just think that the backups, the backup play with this franchise is going to set them back if either has to play right now. And I just shake my head sometimes at the development curve and, and how long it is, and yet we're, we're trusting of this, and uh, it's where we are. Started with Malik Willis, and, these, and I'll say this, these guys alternated in and out. Malik Willis is a very good athlete once he escapes the pocket, same as was he was in college, um, but he also does a lot of things that the same, he did the same thing in college. He had to delay a game. He, he had people running around that he didn't see, so he didn't identify targets. Um, wide open curl routes, he overthrows it. He holds the ball still way too long for me, just not aware of what's going on. Um, steps up into the rush. His pocket awareness for me is, it might be fatal, but I, it's just not there yet. So I think we kind of made fun a little bit last year of the fact that Malik Willis was one of those guys that's a year away from being a year away. Yeah. He's probably still a year away, you know, and this is, again, only one game. But it was just everything happened in slow motion for me. And then Will Levis came in, and Will Levis is the second-round pick from Kentucky who started his career at Penn State. Um, 
a lot of the same things. And, and it just makes me wonder who evaluates these guys for the franchise. It's really a struggle. People open in the red zone. He doesn't see them. I, I always have a term, Mike, that I use for quarterbacks is they look, but they don't see. And that's a problem. Sometimes guys can look right at the open receiver running cross and, and he won't see him because he'll never pull the trigger. That's just, it's kind of a flaw that it's hard to explain why, but that's just the way it is. And, um, he's wildly inaccurate as well, Will is. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think the lack of awareness, the, the lack of a clock in his head, the lack of pocket presence for both these guys, just tell me, and I'm not trying to beat up the Titans, but this is this is a struggle because, as we know, Tannehill missed time last year, and, and they were still really good on defense and did some other things, but I don't think it's going to be any different this year, I think. And now we, we heard today that Burks, the receiver, was – taken off the field with some type of an injury. I, I was betting on the Titans giving the Jaguars a little bit of a run for their money. I just, I don't know that that's going to happen now, especially if Tannehill misses any time at all. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and we're not going to make a judgment, like you said, about the long term in, in no. one week of preseason, but we are talking about the long term plan. And these are guys that, these are not, these are people they have targeted to possibly have a future, but they are doomed if something happens in the short term. I think they'll be back to, you know, last year they ended up signing Josh Dobbs and playing him ahead of Malik Willis. And I could see them having to do that somewhere this year, sign a veteran guy somewhere if something happened to Tannehill. So I just think that's a, that's a plan that's probably headed for disaster if something happens to Ryan Tannehill. And the scary part is, Mike, when you're talking about team building, this is going to be it for Tannehill most likely in Tennessee. He, he already has a $38 oh, yeah. million dollar cap number, highest in the league, I think. And he's probably in the last year of his time with the Titans. So I don't know that there's a plan to pass the baton. I think it could get worse before it gets better, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. What's your next note? The other note I had just for the GM notebook was I've been asked on a couple radio shows, and I'm sure you get asked this too, Mike. Everybody always says, have we outlived preseason? Has is preseason kind of come and gone? Are we over preseason games? And do we really get anything out of them? And I guess my answer is twofold. One, the joint practices have taken precedent for me over preseason games. And the joint practices have become a way for coaches to script what's going on in practice. They can get exactly certain coverages ran against certain plays and vice versa. Um, and they don't have the physicality of bringing somebody to the ground at the end of it. So they can get lifelike conditions without the contact or the fatal car crashes per se at the end of these plays. So I understand it. The other big positive for me would be if I had a joint practice, we don't have to share that tape. A preseason tape is shared by everybody in the league. Every team gets everybody's preseason game. If you have a preseason, um, work against another team you don't have to share that tape with anybody that's that's your that's your own you know yeah intelligent part of it and so you can try different things you can experiment and have only shared it with your opponent that day so those two things are are somewhat i think beneficial now one one i think is is more beneficial than the other but then i watched the chiefs i watched the, uh, the chiefs preseason game yeah. the other day so my thinking is Andy Reid may be the best coach in the league right now. I know he's a little old school, but I, I, I thought this. He played Pat Mahomes for six plays. 
And it's not really about how many plays he played. But for me, the fact that Pat Mahomes knew he was going to start in a game changes the day before and maybe two days before because he's not going to get embarrassed. His focus is going to be fine. He needs to go through this. Even a former MVP, Super Bowl champ twice over, he still felt like it was valuable to, to for the lead-up into that game to get that experience. And then I watch a team like Atlanta play on tape. They're, they're starting Desmond Rizzard, who played four games last year. He doesn't play a snap. doesn't start. What, what do we gain in there? So that, that to me was just two vastly different examples of coaching philosophy on how to treat preseason. Um, I just think there's so much to be learned from some live action. You don't have to play these guys a lot. But those two days before a game, I just find that if players are going to play, they're completely different. Their focus is different. Their attention to detail is different. If I know I'm yep. not going to play, guess what? I'm shutting her down probably a day and a half ahead of time, and I'm going through the motions. And I'm not saying it's for everybody, but it depends on where you are in your career. I just can't believe uh, they would waste a quarter of action for a guy like Desmond Ritter. And, and he doesn't need that. Of course he needs it. He needs every snap he can get. But again, I'm not picking on them. That's just a different philosophy that I would struggle with if, if I was in Falconland. And Andy Reid, on the other hand, and he had this reputation in Philly too. Andy Reid's a hard-grinding dude, man. He might seem like a nice, oh, yeah. you know, jovial yeah. guy. But his guys practice. The physicality is more than most places. They used to complain in Philadelphia all the time. He, he wants us to hit. He wants us to do this. He wants us to do that. Way more than anybody else. And now we've gotten to where nobody wants to hit anybody, and it's all kid gloves, and nobody gets tackled, and I get all that. We're going to save injuries, which I'm not convinced saves injuries at all. But it's just that different philosophy. And I loved it when Andy Reid said, hey, our guys are going to play, and Pat Mahomes played six plays. Not only that, if you're another star on that team, if you're another really good player on that team, how do you say, yeah, I don't really want to go when Pat Mahomes is playing six plays? Your best I player love that. Yeah, is, is the leader of your whole franchise, the face of your city. He's going to play, so nobody else can beg out, right? They all got to play. So does this get to that? Remember we were talking about you know the, the quarterback-coach relationship as a partnership. Now, make no mistake, there's a leader in the partnership, and it's Andy Reid. And just as yep. it would have been Mike Holmgren, but um, they're really on the same page. And and you know a different type of partnership would have been Belichick and Brady. But when you have that guy that who's your elite great quarterback playing in the preseason or doing whatever, it sets the I mean, it just sets it for everybody. It's great. I think the bar really is high great. in their case. You're right, and it's that way every day, and that's why they're the best in the league. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think that's we, all that's I got. A wrap, that's Randy. it. Yeah. That's what we got. Yeah, it's good. It's a great, great GM notebook. And uh, thanks, everybody, for coming along. You can find Randy on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore me. I'm on there at Sando NFL. You can find us both in The Athletic because we're teammates. Let's do it again next week. This was The Athletic Football Show's Football GM Podcast.